What's up, everybody? Buck Grant here. Just getting back from Costa Rica, just uh, did our first Primal Edge retreat, and I had an opportunity to sit down and talk with everyone who was there and share some things that I haven't really shared with a whole lot of people, particularly the motivation behind me writing my first book, Over the Top Rope, Life Lessons from the Ring. I had some revelations in the last year that um, let me get, gave me a little bit more insight about why I've done everything I've done for the last you know, 40 years of my life and realizing that I wrote my book for one reason, but there was a deeper reason that I just discovered that I thought would be of tremendous help to a lot of people. So I share this in this short podcast. Hope you guys really, really enjoy it. Hope you get something out of it. I sure as hell did. This um, episode is, pop, is brought to you by the Primal Warrior Man Retreat. I'm doing my first male retreat May 3rd through the 6th of 2019 in Jamaica. And a lot of the things that I'm talking about in this podcast has inspired that um, retreat. Well, we'll be going in, um, for four days. There'll be a small group, no more than 12 people, who are going to go into what it means to be a modern-day man. I've learned a lot over the last few years about myself and what I think it means to become a man. And I'd like to share some of the rituals and rites of passage that I learned through martial arts, through movement, through the Wim Hof method, which is ice water immersion, and many other things. If you're interested in that, go to buckgrant.com backslash primal warrior retreat and check it out. Hope you guys enjoy the show. So, um, I think it, it, in order to kind of get an understanding of why something like this even occurs for me, it's good to know where, where I came from and why I even do this type of work. Um, and first and foremost, I consider myself above being a martial arts instructor, I consider myself um, a storyteller. So the best way for me to ever get your attention, by the way, if you ever really wanna get my attention, is just tell me you wanna tell me a story. And you'll have me hook, line, and sinker. I think that, um, the abil a person's ability to do that says a lot about their ability to communicate because the human condition really exists in storytelling inside of our heads that we perpetuate out into the world. So I'll share my story and understanding that every story, if it has anything worth listening to, has two levels, two layers. There's the layer on top, the obvious, this is why we're doing it and this is what's going to happen. And then there's the story beneath the surface. And sometimes that story has two or three layers beneath the surface. Um, my story, which I wrote a book about it, um, Over the Top Rope, was a, my, my, my cathartic journey into trying Amazon. to figure out Amazon.com, BuckRand.com. Um, yeah. It was my cathartic journey into like understanding why I fought in a ring or a cage. And I never fought because I wanted to do a sport. I never fought, but cared about being a champion. That wasn't really a thing back then. UFC was so new. Thai boxing was non-existent in the States and still illegal. Um, most of us who were fighting back then were doing it because we had something to prove. And my proving story was about, or at least what I thought it was about, was about getting beat up in front of my brothers in my front yard. When I was eight years old, nine years old, I was already a skinny, pimple-faced, biracial kid in a black neighborhood that didn't fit in and didn't belong, but I had the wonderful opportunity of trying to defend my brothers and not being able to do it. 
Um, I remember my first introduction to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was literally getting mounted in my front yard and having some kid beat my head out. And it was, it was a horrific story. I remember having that happen, running into my room alone, crying my ass off, and then having to make a decision about who I was going to become for the rest of my life. I was, gonna, was I going to hide behind closet doors all the time, or was I going to try to step up against my fears? And so an entire career of martial arts, of going into this place where I was scared to death, was based upon trying to face a fear that happened to me when I was eight years old. And because of all of that, I was able to jump into a cage and jump into a ring and do grappling tournaments and all these things. I was able to help coach other people to be able to do these things as well, at the amateur and the professional level. And I thought, because of doing all of that for the course of a decade, maybe even longer, that I was gonna find some type of happiness and stillness at the end of it. When I fought my last professional fight, just like 2007, I was in Washington, D.C., I thought that I had finally killed the demon inside of me that had been haunting me all this time. And yet, after that victory, I remember raising my hand and feeling like I had a sense of peace, and then there was still a piece of this feeling of emptiness because it hadn't done what I thought it was going to do. Um, I owned one of the largest martial arts schools in Virginia, a very functional and you know, successful mixed martial arts gym that had CrossFit, TRX, you name it. Um, I was married at the time. We had a family. She had two kids that I helped raise. We had the big house, the picket fence, all the things that you're supposed to have. Staff of about 20 students, 20 instructors. And you could walk into that gym and look at it and be like, if this is a martial artist dream, then it's happening right in front of me right now. And why am I not happy? I've got everything that I've ever wanted right in front of me and I'm miserable. I don't want to get up in the morning. I have a hard time sleeping. I went from a person that never drank. I, I never touched a drop of alcohol when I was doing my fight career to like it becoming a little bit of a habit. Not much, but you know, a, a case of yangling sitting in the refrigerator that used to take six months to go through it would take three months and then it would take a month. And then I was buying a couple of weeks, a month and then a week. Um, I was extremely unhappy. Fast forward past that, I go through a divorce. I go through a buyout of my own gym where I'm literally fired from the own, my only gym, the, own, the gym that I owned. And forced into non-compete where I literally had to leave out of my own town in order to pursue the work I wanted to do, pursue. And there was a point in my life where the big victim part of me used to say, well, these guys fucked me over and my wife was this and the kids were that and all of that. But the wonderful thing that at least comes with experience, I don't know if it comes with age, it doesn't always come with age, but it can come with experience and introspection, was being able to look back and go, no matter what happened or no matter what anyone did to me, I had a huge responsibility in all of that. And my responsibility came back to the story that I had been telling myself for my entire life, which was literally a lie. And the lie was that I was fighting because I was afraid of getting beat up in my front yard. The real fear that I had was not so much a fear of getting hurt or punched, because those type of fears go away. You get punched in the face, you get a black eye, those bruises heal. It's the emotional mental stars that kind of stay with you. When I was a kid, I never felt like enough to my dad. I never felt like 
he even really liked us. I knew he loved us because he paid the bills and uh, we never went without food. We were always okay. But he was never home. He was working or he was running the streets and he was, as we all say, he was doing the best that he can with what he had, which still doesn't do, which still isn't a great answer for a little kid who doesn't know what it's like to be a man in this world because his father's never around. And when he is around, he seems like he's upset that you're even here. I remember the day that he wanted to show me how to take, like, to, to change a tire, which, you know, it, and, and as rites of passage goes between like a parent and a kid is kind of a big moment. It doesn't seem like a lot, right? But it's this moment of like, you're not driving right now. You're not into the, the free world on your own, but one day you will be. And then when you are, things will go wrong. And I'm going to show you what you can do to make things right again. If you have the skill and the will to do it. So symbolically, something as small as that was big to me. And I remember sitting in front of the tire and I, I was so nervous that I couldn't tell my left from my right. Because I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to go on and grab the thing and push it and it be stuck and not be strong enough to do it and be judged for it. Because the guy that was never around was right there and the one that I wanted the most attention to from in my entire life was right there and I felt that if I got it wrong, he would disappear again. And I remember how frustrated he was, how angry he was that I didn't get it right because I completely froze. And I remember him pulling the tools out of my hand and doing it himself. And it was the last moment that I remember with my dad that, um, of him ever trying to teach me anything, at least intentionally. So I fast forward through my entire life and I think that I'm fighting for this one thing, but the reality is I was fighting for his approval. My very first Thai boxing fight, he didn't really want me to do martial arts in the first place because my father, or that generation only really knew of two ways of success for a person. You either go work, and at that time, my family was long-term longshoremen. Everybody worked on the docks. Everyone made really good money unloading ships. From my grandfather to my dad, my uncles, all my brothers. So you either did that, or if you were one of the few grant brothers that made good grades, you went to school. And it didn't even really matter what you went to school for, as long as you did that rather than working. But there was no really in-between. There was no other way to go. So when I decided to drop out of college and start doing martial arts full-time, QFDC, um, leadlessly, I wasn't getting a whole lot of support. I, I, never, I never heard from him. He never said anything to me. He did get upset that I wasn't going to college anymore. But it was almost the last time I actually even spoke to my dad until I was an adult. And literally, I walk into a martial arts school thinking that I'm learning how to face my fears a year later, I do my first Thai boxing fight, and the one and only time my dad ever came into a martial arts studio was to see that fight. And it was at FDC. It was an in-house fight. Um, I was a rookie on the team. I wasn't really expected to do anything except for the people who were around me who really trained with me. And I was able to beat a guy, Jesus Cruz, who was a, whatever that meant at the time, a Philadelphia state champion. Because who knows? Yeah, Philadelphia was a way ahead of us at the time. So I was able to beat a Philly state champion in the ring and I didn't even really care that I beat him. I cared that I got in there and for whatever it meant was I got to be a man in front of my dad. 
And I remember my dad saying to me, which is literally a, a memory that I suppressed until about a couple of months ago. I remember him saying that he was proud of me and that you're a man now. And that was the last conversation I had with him for a decade. And what I didn't recognize that everything that I did from that moment on was chasing the validation of him. And so when I say there's like two stories, right? You have the story on the surface that like seems like the good story. And then there's the story underneath. On the surface, I felt like I was really achieving my goals. And to this day, I still feel like that I did that. I'm very happy that I'm along the path that I went and I got a chance to, you know, 20 some years later, I get the opportunity to do something like this and share a moment with you all. But I thought that whole journey, even getting in the ring and going to fights and going through all this pain and adversity and all that, I really thought that I was running from one thing. And the reality is I was trying to run towards this like validation from, from, from my father figure to the point where I started seeking out father figures and business partners and older coaches, putting on a, an, an increasing value on what they thought about me which would make me go to no ends in order to, to, to appease them. Work harder than I ever could in the gym. Run faster, train harder, kick harder. I sought out the, the validation for these people. And when I didn't get it from them, I would also seek it out in the validation of partners. I would look for women that would make me feel like a savior because my mom felt like a victim, even though she never voiced it. So there's a small part of me that always wanted to save my mom. And so I would date people that I felt like I needed to save. And it permeated through every aspect of my life. And I had a moment when I was at the beach. I was sharing this with a couple of friends. I just, you know, this is really, I met a friend at the beach, Clear, just a friend. The person that read, reached out to me through a business venture who just so happened to be moving to Nosara. And she's, you know, young. She's an attractive looking girl. Nothing, nothing for me to go for, but it was just the fact that there's a part of my brain when I'm sitting around with her, there's a small part of my brain was reactive and was saying like, I want this person to like me. She could have been anybody, by the way. She could have been a, a guy. She could have been an older person. It doesn't matter. I wanted this person to like me. That was a little small thing that went off in my head. Um, since the last year that, that voice has gotten really, really small and easy to shut up. Um, but I remember looking at the person, shaking their hand for the first time physically and looking her in the eyes and the first word that came to my mind was judgment. I feel judged. And I couldn't figure out why, but, that, but from that point on, I'm like, I feel like I'm gonna be judged for the next however long I decide to be with this person. And as I'm talking to them, she's asking me personal questions about me. And then I ask her questions about herself. I'm like, what things are you working on right now in your life? And she pauses and she looks at me and goes, judgment. I feel like I judge people a lot. Did, could, I, I felt like a clairvoyant. Although it really, what was really happening is that everyone around you is always telling you information if you're willing to listen before they even speak to you. They're always talking to you. We tend to kind of like ignore these things and work around them and make excuses around them. But there's like a deep part of you that kind of already knows before you go into a relationship with someone for two, 10, 30 years, that something about this isn't gonna work out. And fortunately enough, I've been able to get 
to a point where I can listen to that voice a little bit more. So because of that, the exchange was uncomfortable because I didn't like the fact that someone was judging me. No human being does. Um, we're not wired to. We're soft-bellied, hairless apes who literally work, rely on our ability to communicate and commune and be in tribes in order to survive. So when we're faced with any creature in front of us that is another human that doesn't like us, doesn't trust us, there's a part, small part of our reptilian brain that goes off and goes, if this person doesn't like me, I'm going to die, as small as it is. And that voice is even bigger when you think that it's your father, your father figure doing so, right? I say all of this not as like an answer to anything in anybody else's life. I say it because the awareness of that story has been the biggest glimpse of freedom I've had in a really long time. Um, to a point where I can truly look at my dad and say he did do the best that he could with what he had. He was only copying off of what he learned. He had nowhere near the information that... that that I have about what it means to be a man or a woman or, 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 or a good human being in this world. He wasn't exposed to the right things. Could he have done more? Of course, maybe he could have. But he did the best he could with what he had. And I've also been able to give myself a little bit of grace to understand that I can say that to you right now and I can call him a son of a bitch in an hour if I've had three drinks and still be okay with that too. Because the human condition is fluid. I can both love him and condemn him at the same time and still let that be a work in progress throughout the rest of my life. And ultimately, what all of it comes down to is what we said before. What I said before is it's about the story that's going on in your head. It's never about the thing that's going on on the outside. I guarantee you that my dad had no ill intention towards me. Despite the... The, the, the image in my head of painting him as a bad guy. Because think about this with stories, right? This monkey brain we have is the most miraculous thing that is, allows us to build things in the middle of a jungle and make businesses online through this like mystical internet that allows people to communicate across the world. That mind has the capacity to create anything and everything. But by definition, it differentiates. I have to, if I have a story, I have to have both an antagonist and a protagonist. I have to have a good guy and a bad guy. We tend to put everyone in our lives in one of those categories in order for us to make sense about who they are, in order for it to fit a story that literally comes from the programming we had when we were four, five, and six years old. Literally. So... In the sense, I, like the awareness of it, just knowing that it's a story that isn't necessarily true. That I mean, it's not my dad doesn't love me. It's not that the people around me don't respect me. It, it's not like it, doesn't, it even matters that a person doesn't like me. Oh, and by the way, even if they didn't like me for that moment in time, perhaps I'm not that important in the first place for them to be thinking about me much more than two minutes, 12 years ago. It's all about the story that I create in my head. And that everything that we have, including our joy, including our happiness and our, 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 our sense of self-worth is literally fictitious to, to a degree. It's manufactured. And I don't say that in a negative way. I say that because if it is a story, then the next question is to ask is who wrote the story? 
you could possibly say that the story was co-written by my experiences, by my parents, by my genetics, by any circumstances that I've gone to, through. We could say that. But that's old story from like when we were kids. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live like a four-year-old anymore. I don't want to live from a story that's literally, in my case, 39 years old, that hasn't been updated in a long time. I realized that at some point I can take all of the memory that I had from my past and I can literally paint a different picture with that if I want to. And that the really only thing that's actually holding any of us back is the stories that we tell and the idea that we can't change them. It's not to say that those, changing those things are easy. Some of them are hardwired. There's certain aspects of you that may always be. That it, the juice may not be worth the squeeze to change them. And that you have to accept yourself for what you are and be okay with that. I'm talking about the things that when you wake up every morning, you think about at least once and you've thought about it at least once for five, 10, 15 years. And the only reason that you're not doing anything about it is because that tape goes off in your head that tells you in this story that doesn't exist. That's where the real power of that comes from. That's where the daily practices come from. And there's a lot of daily practices and I'm not going to get into that because we could be here all night and there's a lot more things to do. But I, I just tell you that from, from my heart because this, this story that have, has been written right now makes me very fulfilled, makes me very happy. Um, I was able to go back and look at whatever was going on in my personal life and go, what things did I not have growing up? And what things would I like to create and manifest into this world now? And those things are creating a family, creating a tribe, creating a group of people from various different backgrounds, coming from various different places, that can hold space for one another, that we can laugh with, cry with, fight with, get high with. Like, being able to create that from a story of like, this is what I didn't have, but this is what I can make into the world if I choose to, has given me a, very, a, a lot of satisfaction. And I just want to tell you all from the bottom of my heart, I, I, I am a hundred, I'm very, very appreciative of each and every one of you and love you all dearly. I know that everyone comes here from different backgrounds and different lives and you had to change certain things in order to be here. And you could have chose anything to do at the beginning of December, but you decided to come out here with me in the middle of the jungle and listen to me ramble on my birthday. What the fuck was I thinking? I know. Chug me in the jungle. Have another drink, Matt. It only gets weirder tomorrow when Tony teaches. Tomorrow we're getting weird again. So that's, that's, that's my spiel. And I just want, once again, I want to thank you all for the bottom part of being here. And um, I had a drink here somewhere. There it is. There we go. Salute to you all. Salute. Thank you very much. Salute. Thank you all for checking out the show. Hope you really got a lot out of this one. I sure as hell did. Wanted to share a piece of my heart that I hadn't really shared with other people, and I hope it's beneficial to you all. If this podcast has been of any help to you, 
and you like to spread some positivity in the world, share it with other people, like it on iTunes, comment, give it a rating if you can. That really helps me spread the word because it moves us up in the ratings and allows other people to get a lot out of this as well. We have two retreats coming up in 2019. First one being the Primal Warrior Man Retreat. That will be May 2nd through the 6th in Jamaica. We talked about it at the beginning. Go to buckrand.com backslash Primal Warrior Man. Also, we have the Primal Edge Retreat, July 14th through the 20th in Costa Rica. Tony Torres and I are going back there. We had a great time this time. We're going to take it to the next level on the next one. Really looking forward to this. Uh, July 14th through the 20th. Mark your calendars. Make sure you can show up for that and hope to see you there. Remember, you are a fighter the day you decide to become one. And today might be that day. Stay focused, everyone.